It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Welcome to the Hank Haney Podcast, brought to you by Haney University, haneyuniversity.com. Go there and check it out. Go there and sign up for my instructional videos that go out three times a week. Get on that list. It's absolutely free. And find out information if you're interested in coming to Paradise Valley, which is right near Scottsdale, Arizona, if you want a golf lesson from me. This is a place you can come and do it. All right. I was teaching the other day, and I told a story about uh, Ben Hogan. I've, I've told this story before, but I, you know, I'm going to assume that everybody hasn't heard it. But I was talking about the ball slicing or hooking, what causes it, where the golf ball starts off, ball primarily starts off in the direction that the club face is pointed. Ball will curve based on the fact that if the club face is open or closed relative to the path of the swing, the ball is going to curve one way or another, which is kind of different than the way it's described uh, by some people. Uh, I remember when I used to read Jack Nicholas's book, Golf My Way. And he talked about how when you want to hook the ball, you close the club face. When you want to slice the ball, you open the club face. And the fact is, is that when you want to draw the ball, and that means a right-to-left shot for a right-handed player, you want the ball to start to the right of your target. And the way that you do that is you have the club face open when you hit the ball. It's open relative to the target. That way the ball will start to the right, but the path of the swing is more to the right than the club face is, which makes the club face closed relative to the path of the swing, and that's how you get a draw. So actually, you kind of set the club face down a little bit open or square but come in a little bit open when you're hitting a draw. And if you're going to fade the ball, you do the exact opposite. Now, if you're going to hook the ball around a tree and hit a big, huge hook, yeah, you're going to close the face, and you're going to aim way right because you're going to pull the ball by having the face closed. So you got to aim way right, and then you kind of hit a pull and a hook to get it around a tree or you know, the opposite if you're going to hit a, a slice around a tree. But just a draw or a fade, it's, it's not played the way that uh, – a lot of people think not you know that the that's amateur advice when you tell people close the club face to hit a hook open the club face to hit a to hit a slice and i was telling this story about how um, marco mira who was my first student on the on the pga tour mark when when he turned pro he was uh lucky enough to be uh representing the ben hogan company and 
shortly after we started working together, Mark went to see Mr. Hogan, who is, is somebody that, as a, as a golf instructor, like I've been for 45 years, you always admired Hogan. You admired his swing. You admired his work ethic. You admired his, his book, the, the Five Lessons of Modern Fundamentals. You kind of uh, looked at Hogan as, and I did, as, as one of the greatest, if not the greatest ball strikers ever. So Mark went to meet with Mr. Hogan one day, and he asked him a, a, a question. And Mr. Hogan was going through this the whole deal and telling Mark, you know, about hitting, you want to hit a draw, and, you know, but you got to be able to fade it. And Mark said, let me, can I ask you a question, Mr. Hogan? And of course, Mr. Hogan said, yes. He would only answer questions to, to people that represented his company. I remember the famous story when uh, Gary Player uh, asked him a question. And he looked at Gary Player and he said, uh, what, what company do you represent? And he said, I don't know who it was at the time. It might have been McGregor or something. And Hogan looked at him and he said, well, why don't you go ask Mr. McGregor? Anyway, Mark represented the Hogan company, so Hogan would answer uh, questions for him. And one of the questions Mark asked him, he said, when you're hitting that draw that you're talking about, should the club face be square or should it be closed or should it be open when you contact the ball? And Hogan looked at Mark. Mark relayed this story to me. And Hogan looked at Mark and he said, who told you to ask that question? And Mark said, well, I'm, I'm working with this young instructor. I was young at the time. Uh, I was like 23 years old. And I was at Pinehurst Hotel and Country Club in North Carolina. I was the uh, head instructor for the golf schools there. And anyway, Mark said, I'm working with this young instructor named Hank Haney. And he, he told me to ask that question. And Hogan looked at him, and he said, you tell him he's right. That was all he said. What I was right about was is that to hit that draw, you want that club face open. But the path going more to the right. And I, I, I only had an opportunity to meet Mr. Hogan one time, and I met him at uh, Shady Oaks. It's where he was, uh, you know, well, he, he lived in Fort Worth, so he was there, you know, for his pretty much his whole life, I think. And anyway, late in, later in his life, he would be at Shady Oaks every day for lunch. And I was lucky enough to go there one time. Mike White was a pro at Shady Oaks, and he lined up where I, we could come in and just meet Mr. Hogan. And he was sitting at this table all by himself. I mean, talk about nervous. Oh, my gosh, I, I remember this. But, I, you know, this is going to be incredible, meet Mr. Hogan. But But... Yeah, you know, I was thinking like, hey, what what could I ask him? What could I say? And I, you know, and I thought to myself, you know, based on how he usually answers these questions, people ask him. I figured, you know, if I know enough to ask a really intelligent question, I probably know enough to figure out the answer for myself. So I didn't I didn't ask him. I didn't ask him. Anything. I just told him how much I admired him and is what he'd done for the game of golf and his golf swing. And, you know, thank you for, you know, 
allowing us to say hello to you. And that that was it. But that was a that was a, a thrill. I had one I had one other great uh thrill in in my uh coaching career related to Ben Hogan. I was I was teaching and coaching down at uh Sweetwater Country Club in uh Houston, Texas. It's actually in Sugarland, Texas. And at the time it was the headquarters for the LPJ and I was a, a director of golf there. And I had somebody that came down for a lesson and the, the guy had signed up for a lesson and he showed up there in the driving range and I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Fort Worth. And I said, where do you play up there? He says, I play at uh, Shady Oaks. I said, uh, how did you, how'd you decide or know to come down here for a lesson? He said, well, I got a, I got a friend of mine that uh, said there's a, there's a guy down in Houston that knows uh, something about the game of golf, you ought to go take a lesson from him. And I said, really? I said, what, what was your, your friend's name? And he said, Ben Hogan. And I have to tell you, that was, that was the biggest thrill of my golfing career right there when I, I heard that. That was incredible. That was absolutely incredible. All right, I, I I did a little research here when as I, I was thinking about Ben Hogan the other day when I was teaching because I had told that that story that I just uh, relayed to you the first one, and one of the things that got me thinking was Hogan had a, a quote where he he said you know for if you miss a day of practice it takes a you know like a thousand balls to catch up to where you were the day before. And I was hunting around on the internet looking looking for that that quote, and I found a, an article in the L.A. Times. This was uh, written by uh, Bob Oates. It's on the it's on the internet. It's a great article, and it uh, talked about Ben Hogan, and it uh, it was it was I really enjoyed reading the article. Anyway, I want to share with you some of my my thoughts on that uh, when. Uh, when we come back. All right, go to voodoopainrelief.com. Get your Voodoo Pain Relief Cream if you haven't already done it. Aches and pains, muscle soreness, joint pain. It is the absolute best product for that, and you can try it for free. So go there and check it out, voodoopainrelief.com. All right, we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time... 
with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. So the story that I'm uh, referring to, it, it had some, some great quotes in there. And this writer had, had uh, talked to Mr. Hogan, and it, it, I think he was like 75 at the time. And he still used to used to hit balls. He hit balls out at Shady Oaks, and uh, he would practice every day when the the weather was good. And Hogan said, "He said I, I don't play golf anymore, but I still hit balls four five days a week. And every time when it's a nice day, he said to me, practicing has always been been half the fun. As I've continued on in, in, in my life, in my golfing life, I have to say that I I enjoy." I enjoy hitting balls as, as much as or more than, than than playing. I'm not comparing myself to Ben Hogan, but uh, I, I do love trying to figure things out and trying to make good contact and hitting hitting shots. And I mean, what I shoot when I go out and play, even if I go go out and play, which isn't very often, but when I do go out and play, I mean, I don't. I, and people say, "What'd you shoot?" I, said, I really I couldn't care less what I shoot. I just want to hit. I just want to hit some good shots. I kind of keep track of how many shots I hit good and how many shots I hit like really bad. And uh, the score, you know, I mean, it's just a, a byproduct of hitting good shots and eliminating bad shots. I mean, that that's that's really all it is. But it was interesting to to read what what uh, what, what Hogan Hogan said. You know, he wasn't a a, a big big guy, and yet he was he was powerful and he hit the hit the ball. And, and incredible, and everybody always marveled at his his uh, golf swing. There's a video, and it was uh, uh, the Shells won for World of Golf when Ben Hogan played Sam Snead at Houston Country Club, and Hogan hit like every fairway, every green, and every 
uh, reachable par five and two. And they, you know, they say it was like one of the, you know, greatest ball striking. It was just an exhibition, but it was one of the greatest ball striking rounds uh, ever. But Hogan was a perfectionist. And one of the things in this article talked about his, his club company and how he, uh, you know, the clubs had to be perfect. And he, he always designed the irons. And when they first had the company, they, they had all these irons made and everything, and they're all ready to go. And orders were piling in. And Hogan came in to look at the clubs, and he, he, and he said, uh, <laughs> he said, these aren't, these aren't going these aren't going out. They weren't up to his standards, and uh, ended up costing him like one hundred fifty thousand dollars, which back in that day was a lot of money. And he said his partner wanted to ship all those clubs out, and he said he wouldn't. He wouldn't do it. They weren't. They weren't up to his standards, and that's the kind of attitude that he had. Everything had to be just absolutely perfect. He talked about this uh, dream he used to have. He started this round with. 17 consecutive hole-in-ones in this dream. And he said on the 18th hole, his tee shot lipped out. And he said he was madder than hell. And that was that was Ben Hogan for sure. So many great things in this article. Hogan used to, used to study. He, he used to get a magnifying glass and study all the golf balls in, in a sleeve or a box of a dozen balls. He'd look at all the balls and he'd... All, only a few of them would he keep. All the rest of them he'd put in his shag bag. And they said one day uh, somebody asked him, he said, why, why, why are you throwing all those balls in the, in the shag bag? And he said, uh, some of the dimples have a little too much paint in them. Those weren't up to his, his standards either. <laughs> Man alive. He, he, he wanted everything to be absolutely perfect. Hogan talked about how the practice you do every day needs to be correct and powerful and make it a repeating swing. And they asked him about the, the, the great shot he hit on the 72nd hole, 1950 U.S. Open, which is a famous shot. He had a two-iron uh, on the, the green on that, that shot, and it, it helped him get into a playoff, which he, which he ended up winning. And he said, uh, I didn't hit that shot then. He said, I've been practicing that shot since I was 12 years old. And that, that, that's a, an incredible attitude. I mean, you, you, you practice and you practice and you practice. And if you practice enough, you can do it under the, under the competition. They said Hogan was the first player that made it a habit of practicing every day after finishing his tournament rounds. Which now nowadays, you know, that's just normal. Every time a, a, a player gets done with his round, he goes, he go, you know, he might go get some to eat, he might go get some drink, but they will very quickly go to the driving range uh, and uh, and practice. And they said Hogan was the first one to do that. He said uh, that was the best time to do it because you, you remember what you just played. And you can see where you you can see where you haven't practiced hard enough. Everything to him was was practicing hard enough. It was just all about work ethic. Just the the harder you work, the better you get. It was just uh, it was that, it was just how he, he looked at it. He said he came into the game to prove himself and others how how well 
golf could be played by anyone, anywhere. But he was never a, he was never a, a great putter. Always uh, struggled with that. And in fact, I mean, later in his life, I mean, he was just a, a, a terrible yipper. And that that's uh, pretty much, you know, well, I mean, one of the things that eventually drove him out of the game. I mean, he couldn't couldn't make a, a, a short putt. Uh, but he would he would practice, and he would practice, and he would practice. He won sixty three times on the U.S. tour. You know, I, I talk about this all the time. How hard it is to win on the PGA tour. <laughs> Think about how hard it was to win back then. You know, you it, small. You didn't have big fields. Didn't have depth of field. No, but you had Byron Nelson. Think it's hard to win on tour when when one guy won wins like eleven in a row or thirteen in a row or whatever it was. How about Ben Hogan won sixty three times on the tour? Wow, in six years, nineteen forty eight to fifty three, won seven tournaments. Oh man, seven major tournaments in those years: two Masters, four Opens, and and the only British Open he ever played. He won two PGAs in 46 and 48. That's when the PGA was a match play tournament. Finished in the top 10 in 14 straight U.S. Open tournaments. Oh, my gosh. And he finished in the top 10 in 14 straight Masters. Then top four in either the U.S. Open or the Masters 18 times. Wow. Before his accident, that big auto accident he had that, that that almost cost him his life, and a lot of, they thought he'd never play golf again or walk again, he came back and became the dominant player. But but that was in 1949. He had that auto accident. He was a leading money winner five times. Came back after that, and he was PJ Golf for the year in 50, 51, 53, and U.S. Athlete of the Year in 1953. Wow. He was a self-made champion. There's no uh, no doubt about it. He was uh, somebody that just he always he said you, you you dig it out of the dirt. That's where you 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 learn to play. You dig it out of the dirt. Later in his life, he did the same thing every day. He went to Shady Oaks. He'd have lunch with some uh, friends around this big table, big round table. Guys that uh, all liked golf. And then he'd hit a few balls, take a shower, and drive home. Did the same thing every day. His routine never never varied. And he, he, was, he was a golfer. There's no two ways about it. And he loved figuring things out, fiddling around with clubs. This was something that amazed me in that article. He sold papers like on a, a street corner. And they, they, you know, I don't know what he made, like a nickel of paper or something. Who, who knows what he, what he made? Not, not much. And they, they would sell them in the evenings at hotels and train stations. And <laughs> then, they, then they'd sell the papers all day. And then they'd, then they'd he said he had, if he had a nickel, he got a hamburger and an orange soda pop. And then if the paper had an extra, where it was, you know, like an extra part to the paper that they, something came out, some story, they sold it after midnight. 
And that was that was before there was radio and TV, and they'd, they'd we'd walk on the streets yelling extra, 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 and they'd sell that that paper like all the way into the night. And then he heard about the fact that an acquaintance told him that caddies got sixty five cents a day at the Glen Garden Country Club, and all of a sudden he'd never even he'd never even knew anything about golf. He said he'd never even heard about golf. But he said he wasn't making 65 cents a day selling papers. So uh, he hustled out there so he could caddy to make 65 cents a day. It was a seven-mile walk from his home to where he went to caddy every day and then come back. Wow. Times have changed. No doubt about that. That is a great article. If you're ever looking for an article on, on Ben Hogan, I kind of gave you a little sum, summary of it, but uh, Google it. It's pretty pretty good stuff. Hogan has always fascinated me. Uh, the work ethic, the swing, it's it's still a swing today that, that uh, everybody studies. I mean, they, you know, there's great swings on tour, and people, you know, ask me a lot of times, hey, Hank, whose swing do you like on tour? And uh, I guess, I've, I've never seen anybody that swung better than Ben Hogan. Nope, never. Now, I, I, I would have to put Tiger in that category, uh, at least during the years when I was coached. Of course, I'm a little uh, biased on that in that regard. But the thing Tiger had was he had the incredible power. And that's uh, something that's, you got to factor that in. Like when I first started teaching, I always thought the best three ball strikers were Ben Hogan, um, Lee Trevino, and Mo Norman. But none of those three had the power that the players have today. So I think the, the, the list would probably change now because you've got you to have the power. You've got to get the ball in the air. But uh, without a doubt, Hogan would still be on the list. Anyway, hope everybody enjoyed the podcast. Hit the follow button on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, hope you have a great day. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you soon on the Hank Kenny Podcast. I got more stories for you coming up <laughs> as the days go on. They keep coming to me. <laughs> have a great day. The Hank Haney Podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. 
Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.